0: Welcome to yet another anime podcast. Just who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy, and I'm yet another anime podcast host. Hope everyone is doing well out there, uh, and, and hope you've woken up once September has ended. Um, and with the end of September, you know, the ever-sortening and cooling days, and the return of all things spooky, including the pumpkin spice latte, it's time for the fall anime season. Uh, we'll be going over those, of course, in a couple of weeks. So for this episode, we're going to take a look back at the summer anime season and what shows I, were a- I was actually able to finish up with. Uh, before that, a quick announcement. Proud to announce that we actually got accepted as press for the Anime NYC convention happening in November so if you're around let me know uh, I'll be making an episode about anime NYC all right so if you've been listening the past couple of weeks you'll know that I've personally have fallen behind somewhat you know with the summer anime season uh, truth be told I was never fully able to catch up you know and part of that's to be expected right after the craziness of spring and winter you know having a bit of a season to, to chill and and and, and till back a bit um, and not quite finish as many shows. You know, probably is for the better. Um, you know, part of that and 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 another interesting thing that I noticed is that this followed along platform lines. You know, I actually am caught up with all of the Crunchyroll shows mostly by using the VRV app. Um, and, you know, I, I, I could download the episodes for free or uh, download them for offline viewing. So, you know, if I happen to be going out somewhere and was on the subway for, you know, 20, 30 minutes, I could watch an anime episode there. Um, and, you know, it also avoided, you know, any potential Internet issues that the Fundamason app tends to have still. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and also when I took, took a trip with my folks a couple of weeks back, you know, uh, in part of the state that didn't really have great reception, um, on the car right there it was also great to be able to have the downloaded anime to watch. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely behind on the Funimation series in comparison. All that being said, you know while I may have finished less than ten ser- full-length series at the time of writing and recording of this episode, um, we did still have a bit of unique season that you know help that'll help me something unique this season to help me fill out this episode's length. Um, you know, so September 22nd, you know we got an anime anthology that dropped not on Crunchyroll, not on Funimation, not even on Netflix. Rather, we got Star Wars Visions dropping on Disney. Disney. Disney Plus. Uh, The idea would be that this would be the the House of Mouse would you know let seven anime studios make a take a shot at creating stories within the Star Wars universe, result in nine sort um, you know fifteen to twenty minute long episodes. Uh, Most of them aren't strictly canon, or at least directly tied to the original you know the main the main storylines from the mainline films um, of the characters or storylines there. Now you know if you know about the origins of Star Wars, you'll know that George Lucas was very influenced by the samurai films of Akira Kurosawa. And while Akira Kurosawa, it didn't make anime exactly. There, it is somewhat full circle. You know, something about it having a Japanese anime set in the world uh, that was inspired by Kurosawa. You know, and if somehow a family friend of your, or family or friend of yours is, uh, you know, into Star Wars but not the anime, this would be a great way to ease them into the medium, um, as it's a pretty good showcase of the variety of styles present within the medium. Though, albeit granted, it's a, it's a little bit more toward the artistic side, as a, you know, as these are again functionally OVAs that did not have to deal with a weekly production schedule. Overall, you know, just high level, I really enjoyed Star Wars Visions uh, for all the reasons I, I mentioned already. Um, you know, while I certainly have my own thoughts and opinions about each individual episode and where they rank relative to, relative to each other, each and every one of them is definitely worth checking out, in my opinion. Uh, plus, whenever you do so, if you have Disney Plus, be sure to check out the extras for the quick five minute behind the scenes videos that make up each episode to so kind of get a sense of what each director was going for. Uh, in any case, without further ado, you know, let's do an episode by episode breakdown. Uh, of each video, these are gonna be off the top of my head, um, so not quite as well scripted out, so so pardon me there. Uh, The first episode was The Duel, uh, produced by Studio Kamikaze Duga. Uh, They're a CG studio best known for making the Jojo Bizarre Adventure opening, uh, Batman Ninja, and helping out with Pop Team Epic. Uh, This one was directed by uh, Takanobu Mizuna, who's a relative newcomer and written by Takashi Okazaki, uh, the writer of Afro Samurai. this one was definitely in the upper half you know one of one of my probably top 3 or 4 um, you know uh uh, sorts for from from the anthology, um, you know, set very in a black and white, with the exception uh, of the lightsabers, you know, doing the glow within the black and white f- space. Um, and you know, it, while it was, you know, you if you knew what to look for, you could definitely tell that this was CG animated. The black and white aesthetic definitely uh, harkened back to the black and white films of a Kurosawa film. And you know, the content matter, you know, essentially the character designs being of you know Ronin and samurai um, who you know wandered the world, and and you know the samurai or. Or, and the Jedi or Sith you know, being analogous to those samurai um, and, you know, the storm and then some stormtrooper armor being bandits, um, you know, being bandits, you know, or used by the bandits, you know, definitely, again, that Kurosawa um Aesthetic, um, and you know the fight choreography was great as well. And and you know I believe they're actually making a sort uh, a novel or a, a novelization. You know some sort of book is coming on set in the world of the duel. Um, would definitely love to see more. And you know a mild spoilers I guess for for most of all of these. Um, you know the character uh, being revealed to not be a Jedi, but well, or not being traditionally a Jedi, right? He has a red lightsaber. Um, if you're familiar with Star Wars canon, I'm 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 personally speculating that this might be a gray uh, Jedi or gray force. You or someone who's neither, you know, uh, in the absolutes of a Jedi or a Sith, but you know, somewhere in between. Um, so, you know, I think that's a, definitely an interesting space for the for the for that hasn't really been explored in Star Wars um, outside of the extended universe. Uh, next up we have, you know, a complete different feel So this is uh, Tatooine Rhapsody um, who Which is made by Studio Colorita. We've done, you know, an episode featuring uh, Studio Colorita's work So this is another adding to that catalog uh, Directed by Taku Kimura Who's again another newcomer Doesn't have much to his name uh, This one is probably the closest to Star Wars canon In that it actually features the characters of uh, Jabba the Hutt um, and Boba Fett um, Presumably set sometime, you know I guess between the third and the fourth movie um, And it follows, you know Know, a an ex-padawan who ends up joining a rock band of all things um called star wavers you know with an alien uh, a, a member of the hut family who doesn't want to be a crime lord but wants to be a rocker um and a robot you know kind of going around trying to make their own way and you know facing again running into the legacy of the huts here um you know, it's basically a music anime in Star Wars, um, with you know some great J rock to it. Um, you know, the, the the art style definitely was a little, you know, uh, a little a little bit more. Um, shall we say? I wouldn't say childish, but definitely a little bit more um, kid friendly. shall we say? so, in, in, as opposed to you know the very grim uh, and 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 aesthetic, the grim dark aesthetic of of the duel. Um, I, I I won't I I won't hold it against it. I really did enjoy you know kind of like the fact that this honestly of all of them, in one of my I think, if I had a complaint about the anthology, is that all of them basically devolved to a lightsaber duel between two Force users. Um, And here, that didn't really come. Yes, it's a former Padawan, but, you know, his lightsaber never really activates, and he he wins here through the use of the music, right, and kind of explores another side of the Star Wars universe outside of the Force. Um, So, you know, I think I really enjoyed this one for that reason. Uh, Next up is one I was definitely looking forward to, uh, The Twins by Studio Trigger, you know, again, one of my favorite studios out there, directed by one of my favorite directors, uh, Hiroyuki uh, Imaisi, and written by Hiroomi uh, Wakabayashi, um, who have worked on, you know, some of the best stuff of uh, Studio Trigger, particularly Tengen Topa Gurren Lagann. and and, and 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 kill the kill. Which you know, some people would call this kill the kill, uh, but set in space. And you know, the joke with Studio Trigger is that they always send everything to space. So how do you send something in space further into space? Um, I think visually uh, or. Action-wise, I think this is definitely one of the most spectacular action-wise in terms of um, just, you know, Hiroyuki Imer, you see getting carte blanche to basically do what he wants. And obviously, he's a big Star Wars fan, um, according to the behind-the-scenes uh, stuff, um, Well, he could just go all out and just kind of do these things that, you know, I mean— yeah, it doesn't always make sense as Studio Trigger doesn't always make sense. You know, they have the characters here breathing in space without helmets. Um, it definitely does not go against strict canon. But, you know, again, in, in this case, who really cares about the logic of the story? This is all about the visceral, uh, explosive Promare-type accent going on here. Um, I, I and, and, you know, the fact that, you know, you have this scene, again, spoilers, where, you know, you have these twins from the dark side who are going against each other um, and... At one point, one of them rides on an X-wing upside down and extends his lightsaber to cut an Imperial destroyer in half. Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely a studio triggered to the max. Um, I think if there's one thing I would have liked, I would have loved this to be a silent film with no voice acting. Really, really just you know lean into the the act, the whatever, whatever music soundtrack they had and the sound effects, um, and just kind of like have it be purely done through the choreography act. I think that would have been a really bold move for them to take here. Obviously, not the case, but you know. Um, that's just how powerful I think uh, that's definitely the song is element of this sort. Uh, next up we have The Village Bride, um, by Kinemus Citrus, uh, who's the studio behind Se- so it's like Sealed Hero, uh Revue Starlight, Made in the Abyss, and Gochi Usa and Barakamon, directed by Hitoshi Haga, who is the director of Made in the Abyss and anime director on multiple projects like Parasite, Ori Monogatari, and Monster. Um, the notable thing here I think also in the staff is that Kevin Penkin, uh, you know, um, the, the um, composer for Made in the Abyss as well as, you know, Tower of God uh, provided the music here. And uh, this one, again, had a different vibe to it, right? Like, they, they, like again, similar to the *The Tatooine Rhapsody, um, you know, while there was definitely an element of the, the Jedi fights going on here, the larger element here, I think, was definitely much more in the atmosphere. It's set on a planet um, that has a different relationship to the Force. They call it something different. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they call it something different. Um, and it's about their relationship with nature and the force. And it's a lot more philosophical, a lot more, um, you know, atmospheric, um, especially, again, by the music from Kevin Pankin um, and kind of like the 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 way that that they face they face a particular trouble. Um, it, the the I'm not sure of, of this particular pandemic. It has been explored in Star Wars canon before. It reminds me a lot of more of the naturist settings of like, you know, uh, the planets of the Ewoks, for example, and, and kind of like the way that they interacted with nature. Um, so, yeah, I think... And then, and then, and then the, the style here wasn't, you know, again, a typical anime style. It definitely, I think, leaned a lot more into the backgrounds to some degree here. So um, I think The Villa's Bride personally, aesthetically, wasn't my cup of tea as much as the others per se. Um, but I still can't deny that, you know, it definitely was very beautiful. And definitely, I know for many people have it as their favorites for the atmosphere. Uh, halfway through the anthology, at fifth is probably I would say my favorite. Um, you know, like in, in a complete package, right? I think the duel um, you know, was definitely great for its aesthetic. Um, the twins, you know, for its its crazy action. Um, I think the ninth Jedi has the complete package here, and you know, it is also the, the longest one. It's produced by St- production IG um, which you know is currently working on uh, Princess Pirate Fenna, um, has made Psychopaths, Haiku, Eden of the East. So a lot of it's a very old and storied studio. This one was directed by Kenji Kamiyama. Uh, the direct, great uh, and directed by Kenji Kamiyama. Uh, the one behind the Ghost in the Cell standalone complex, Eden of the East, Blade Runner, uh, Black, uh, Blade Runner Black Lotus coming out later this season, and the upcoming Lord of the Rings anime season. Um, so this one, you know, definitely felt like uh, it was twenty-two minutes. It definitely felt like a, you know, essentially a pilot episode for a larger series. And I think many people are pointing to this as potentially the the episode that could potentially be spun off in to its own anime season, which I would love to see, um, you know, it basically is set in the distant future where it's not really within the time and then kind of, you know, in a, in a time where we're, trying, where we're trying to rebuild the Jedi Order. Um, and it just does a lot of interesting things, I think, with the lightsabers here. And, you know, the action choreography is great, you know, um, in the behind the scenes, the director also noted that he really wanted to include a, a, a speeder bike scene, um, which he really did here. And yeah, I think it's just, you know, I think it really shows just the, the power of, of production IG and just what they have to put together is something, you know, it, it may not be the most artistically unique compared to some of the others, but definitely is the most, I think, well put, well structured uh, story, you know, both as a standalone story, but also as a prompt for something larger out there. So um, I think, you know, definitely the ninth, the ninth Jedi, if I'd, I'd love to see this end up becoming something, something else uh, into the future. Um, and then, you know, going back to kind of like the more, you know, uh, experimental side, we have TOB1 um, from Science Saru, which is the studio of Masaki Yuasa. Um, this one was directed by Abe Gongora, who's a Spanish animator, um, mostly mostly does animation direction. And this is one of his early, one of one of his first full directing projects um, written by Yuchiro Kido, who has, you know, from Science Saru, has also written on Azuken as well as Dr. Stone. And, you know, this one is almost... As much an homage to Astrobor, it feels like as much as it is uh, to, um, to to Star Wars itself. And you know, it follows a droid um, named T O B One, and you know, his uh, his 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 master, who ends up being a Jedi, who's lost his arms, who escaped from Order sixty six, um, as you know, the young droid who you know, droids can't become Jedi, dreams of becoming a Jedi, and kind of like what that looks like. Um, Again, this one definitely, the character design, the aesthetic definitely has shades of of Astro Boy in there. Um, It's, it's, again, I think feels a lot more, you know, similar to the uh, Tatooine Rhapsody in terms of aesthetic. Um, Not everyone's cup of tea, but I think, you know, appreciating for that what it is, I think I really enjoyed that. Um next up we have The Elder which is another studio trigger and you know they said in the behind the scenes if the twins was their attempt at sewing you know what the the studio trigger that most people know um, this is a studio trigger that's a little bit more subdued Um, this is directed and written by Masahiko um, Otsuka who worked on Promare Inno Battle and as episode director on Gurren Lagann Neon Genesis Vangelion Kill la Kill and BNA Um, and you know again in the behind the scenes uh, you know director Otsuka Sensei mentioned that you know he had gotten his start in animation or in in filmmaking or animation because he was inspired by the works of star wars as a kid um and then he was about to retire when they got this project so he figured you know going out on a star wars project when he it started off with the star wars project would be a nice way to go so um you know this one again definitely is a much more subdued definitely leans into like that Pada- padawan jedi you know uh kind of said i guess would be in the period before episode two or so um of you know a Jedi and Padawan going and exploring the outer the outer ring, um, and you know again it, it's it's fairly straightforward. You know they come there's a problem they run into this you know the Elder a, a, a Sith master who's um, you know training and, and ends up fight and ends up fighting them right, um, and you know I. I, I don't think it, 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 it really does anything crazy in terms of animation. It definitely has its moments, but I think, you know, it really leans into that you know, that care, that conversation between, um, the, between the padawan and the, and the master as the best element here. Um, you know, that, that, that classic Star Wars trope of, you know, hot-headed padawan and, and a more cool master. So, you know, I re- definitely enjoyed this one and, you know, uh, s- s- shout outs to Otsuka-sensei for a career well done and, and you know, being able to end it on Star Wars. Um, the eighth sort was Lorp and Ocho from uh, Gino Studio or Twin Engine, uh, which is probably most well known for um, Golden Kamui. Um And the episode director uh, was uh, Yuki Igarashi. Um, Yuki Igarashi uh, is, um, you know, mostly an, an, an animator. Um, you know, he 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 was a, he was an episode director on Azoken at some point, um, and he was also the key animator for the Jujutsu Kaisen um, ending ending song, uh, which everyone loves. So, you know, this is definitely an animator. And animator's uh, dream and you know again this is set on a planet that's very reminiscent of japan i think he took a lot of inspiration from yakuza movies um in terms of the character character designs here um and you know he also drew on that that rabbit character who apparently is, is set from a planet that's that's where the new near, near where the wookies come from so it's within Canada. there's this particular race of of rabbit alien um and you know it definitely you know the the I think the song is one of the strongest things here was the atmosphere and, and not the atmosphere the backgrounds here right the backgrounds of the world that that this is taking place in um, you know the the islands the town um, you know the mountains all of that was completely gorgeous here um, and you know there was some pretty good good again excellent choreography here again in my opinion, getting a little bit stale, I know at this point in the anthology where everything is basically, oh, it's a force user versus another force user fighting, getting, it's the Empire or whatever. Um, you know, but I think, again, this one felt like it wanted to be a pilot for a larger story, um, you know, of, of how the how Lorp and, and her sister would, um, you know, end up reconciling with each other, um, hopefully in the future. Um, but yeah, I think personally, the ninth will probably be a little bit better Better put together in that regard, but still, um, you know, I the idea of also a found family here with which is a, a central theme of Star Wars, I think, um, also is is, is 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 it comes through here as well. And then the final one is Akakiri again from Science Saru, um, directed by Yoon Choi, who's the uh, president and CEO of of um of uh. Of science Saru so you know she's mostly a producer, but she's done some various episode directing work, um, including an episode of Space Dandy as well as an episode of Ping Pong the Animation, and also co-written by the same writer as T.O.B. One, um, Yuichiro Kido, who we already mentioned. Um, and you know this one, you know a lot of people were confused why it ended here, right? You know again, spoilers. It kind of tells you know the tip, uh, a, a story similar to that of Episode Three of the mainline story, where you know a Jedi with a forbidden love for somebody ends up falling to the dark side. Uh, um, you know, uh, after trying to save them. Um, and, you know, it, it ends the anthology a bit on a down note. However, um, looking at it, it actually is another homage to Kurosawa films again, right? And, you know, uh Eun Jung Choi mentioned that, you know, when she grew up, she, you know, from being from Korea, she watched foreign films, including Kurosawa films. Um, and this one, I believe, is a reference to the Hidden Fortress film, um, you know, where, you know, C- which is, again, another major influence on Star Wars. Um, you know, C-3PO, you know, and, and R2-D2, a tall and a sword peasant, kind of leading the protagonists along the way um you know it's definitely a staple of star wars and you know repeats here uh with the jedi in question being led by two peasants to help the princess get back to you know get back to uh you know the the fortress and you know in 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 this case, you know, in in that sense, you know, even though it ends on a download, it is essentially a homage, again, bringing it full circle back to Kurosawa. We open on the duel, which is, again, very inspired by the samurai films of Kurosawa, and end on a reference to Hidden Fortress here. Um, the atmosphere uh, here, you know, I think it definitely has the classic science, so definitely not your conventional anime, anime um, character designs and whatnot, but, you know, still very much... Uh, An artistic piece of work, which I really appreciated here. Um, So you know, again, like I said, like I said at the top, all of them definitely worth checking out. Um, Overall, again, I wish there were a few more non-Jedi, non-force user-specific stories. Um, And another thing is, maybe this is me watching it in subtitles, but um, there was a lot of references that I saw over and over again to different Star Wars. You know, um, I have a bad feeling about this. You know, let's punch it or whatever. Um, A lot of references like that, which you know, being a Star Wars and Being the first Star Wars anthology from anime, you know, I'm I'm sure these studios couldn't help but throw in these references to to classic Star Wars. I kind of wish, if if they do a second uh, anthology in the future, that if maybe some of these studios do it again, um, you know, that they end up, you know, maybe... Not dialing back the references and just letting the stories stand on their own as their own thing without needing to reference uh, the original films quite as much. Um, that being said, I am, you know, I did watch this subtitled. Uh, I would not be opposed to going in and rewatching this in the English dub, which is actually pretty rare for me. Um, but yeah, I, I think the universal positive reaction to this is such that I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another one of this a couple down years down the line. Hopefully, with some other studios and directors out there getting a shot at Star Wars. Alright, so that's Star Wars Visions. Uh, let's take a look at the other series from this season that I were able to finish, um, and also ones I didn't quite finish. Um, as a reminder, I tried and dropped the following ep- series after one to three episodes uh, at the start of the season Scarlet Nexus, Konojomo Kanojo, Tante Wamo Sinderu, Shinigami Bochan Tokuma Maid, Seirei Gensoki, Drugstore Isekai, Nighthead 2041, Remain, D Side, and Kageki Sojo. Um, I will say that, as promised, instead of watching Kageki Sojo, I ended up going going back and watching Starlight Review from Road that inspired uh, by the same theater troupe. Uh, certainly it's not as realistic as Kageki Soju probably ended up being, but it definitely, I think, more delivered on the bombast I wanted to see from a show about musical theater. Um, I did end up trying the Gatsu game that this was inspired of since, you know, the same company made D4DJ, which I'm still continuously playing, but that game didn't quite stick after a, after a day or so. So in any case, I really enjoyed Starlight Review as a standalone piece, so bonus review. Um, I gave that a four out of five. Mas, I understand okay anyway back to the seasonal anime uh, there are a couple of series I ended up not quite finishing but they are carrying over into next season so cut me some slack uh, I'm, It's not like I'm not gonna have a chance to uh, to catch up on them and I wouldn't have graded them this time around anyway uh, those were Kaizoku oju or princess pirate fena uh Shiroi Suno wa, no aquatope and obey me which is a sword so I actually haven't caught it in the past the first couple of the first episode or so but again I'm sure I'll have time to catch up on this sword it's like a, two or three minutes per episode uh, for the sake of time again i'm not going to talk about it in depth but i will say uh fena and aquatope are really enjoyable fena has an old school adventure vibe i haven't really felt you know since watching you know anime on tonami which makes sense that you know adult swim uh is is one of the so is, is one of the co-producers on this one and then aquatope's almost meditation on dreams and you know the stunning underwater visuals really have a gave gave a strong summer vibe here Um, I'm only a couple episodes behind that anyway So I'm I'm basically, basically there Anyway, there's also a growing trend of anime that started off partway through the season you know such as P- pirate fana um, and you know even if, but there's something that started only a couple of weeks before the next season uh, for the purposes of this podcast I'm gonna count them toward as a winter anime basically uh, these are Heike monogadri uh, which is notably by the director of listen the bluebird and um, uh, you know uh, now Na- Yamada from uh, Kyoto, Kyoto animation since he left and joined science saru um, and then also the swords Tawawa on Mondays and doki chan which are Coming out on Crunchyroll. So okay, what did I not finish that I did end up starting? Well, I as I mentioned mostly for shows at the start at the time of writing and recording these on, you know, uh, end of S- September 30th into October 1st. I still haven't gotten around to finishing these. Uh, Sunny Boy, uh, Make You Black Company, uh, Megami no Megami Ryu no Riyobukun, uh, Vanitas no Karte, and Realist Hero. Now, the last two, Vanitas and Realist Hero, they actually got second seasons announced um, or whatever coming, or second course or whatever coming out in January 2022. So I don't feel as bad about not catching up on them just yet, since if I want to go watch them for the January season, I you know I'll, I'm sure I'll find time to to make time to, to try to complete it before then. Um, as far as the other three, Sony Boy, you know the final episode just aired and. It had some interesting ideas early on, but I felt a, l- a little bit too slow-paced um, and somewhat monotonous to really get me hooked in uh, and want to keep up every single week. And then Black, Make You Black Company was always on the edge of being that so that w- w- was probably going to be dropped, um, if only because it didn't really stand out all that much. Um, and then Megami ryobu no bukun actually, uh, one, a little bit degen- degenerate, so, you know, wasn't sure I was going to actually finish on it, but I don't have, really have a choice because at this point, I didn't realize, but High Dive actually is... got. Pulled from uh, from VRV, um, and so I didn't have time to finish it before that before it left there. So I guess I'm never going to finish that one. Um. I also ended up not finishing Pete's Boy Riverside, which is a Crunchyroll show, um, and this was due, due to the bizarre decision for them to air the series in a non-chronological order for not any particular story reason, just, you know, they wanted I think they wanted to direct people to watch it on some streaming platform exclusive to Japan that would show it in order. Um, in any case, I put that on hold until I had time to go back and see if it's worth trying to rearrange in order. I got the order list, haven't had time to go back and check it out, so I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot maybe this weekend. Now there are a couple of series I did put on hold last Basically dropped um, after that first wave of drop shows. Um, Jahi Sama, which you know started late the season, um, you know seemed like a humorous take on the reverse esk genre, like Devil is a Part Timer. Um, I think what led me to drop it is that I didn't really see any real growth from the characters. You know, the concept of a story of someone being toppled from power, right, from the demon world to the human world, and then needing to work their way back up is one where the characters in question should grow from that journey, from that experience of starting from the bottom and trying to work their way up. Jahi never really saw any signs of that, and it was mostly just poking fun at how unsuccessful she was in her endeavors to reclaim her, her title before. from before. I did tell myself I'd go back and finish watching that devil as a part-timer for hopefully a better take on this, but never got around to that, so yeah. Um, in the case, I ended up dropping Jahi-sama. Um, I also mentioned a few episodes back in my recalibration episode that I dropped My Hero Academia, um, or I guess put it on hold technically. You know, The action sequences still hit when they're good, but it just felt like there was some sort of spark missing in a lot of the hero sides of the story this season. I stopped watching around the time of that anime original episode that was supposed to lead into the uh, movie, which came out in Japan. It will be coming out in the States at the end of the month, uh, so maybe I'll pick it up again when I go watch the movie in theaters. That said, I do know they end up covering the My Villain Academy arc in the second half of the season, which is pretty good from the manga. Uh, so who knows? Maybe I'll go back and check that out uh, whenever the inevitable season six comes around. And then finally, Urumichi Onisan. This one's like Jahisama, falls into the same issue a lot of Japanese comedy shows seems to have, though this one lasted a little bit longer. Um, it's built about this one gag, right? That Urumichi is a way-too-real depiction of a near-30-year-old Barely containing his depression and nihilism, but behind a cheery mask as a children's show host, occasionally peeking out. Good, a good gag to, to see, you know, in a couple of manga panels here and there. Not so it could sustain an entire show. And you know what? I, you know, I I I am here for you know a more realistic depiction of the world, right? The anime needs more depiction of real life depression and less impossibly cute and ever-optimistic magical girls. Or I'm not saying they need less magical girls, just that we need more of the you know depressed guys, I guess. However, as for Jahisama, the comedy basically reduced to let's laugh at Oremisi's depressive nihilism as opposed to laughing with him, uh, and it never really evolved his his take, he, he didn't really get any nuance, he came fully formed, and th- there wasn't really no arc either for him or any of the side characters, so it got kind of repetitive. Um, I made, made it through episode 6, and granted there were moments of reflection that were somewhat profound at times, but in the end didn't really do that much for me, except just remind me at, of how old I'm getting. Um, I may come back to this and finish the last 7 episodes at some point, maybe leading up to my own 30th birthday in January, but for now, I'm gonna leave this one as incomplete. Alright those are the series I didn't finish, now let's finally get to the ones I actually did finish. First off, the sorts. As we talked about for what feels like a year at this point, D4DJ continued first with the 13th episode, the full anime that launched October last year, into a two-course-sorted chibi anime that ended in July uh, on the YouTube channel, which is Petite Mix, and then the game launched in May this year. If you're a fan of the franchise, especially so of the game, like myself, uh, this is a fun way to learn more about the girls from the different DJ units. If not, it probably won't make much sense to you honestly. Probably a three for three out of five for me personally, as I am end target demographic as this since I'm playing the game. So if not, I can see this being a two or even one out of five for you, and you know, having of no interest to you. Uh, next up is the other sort, uh, Orochusima, which is the latest pet anime, you know, as in the anime about pets. It's a pretty low-commitment series, about a minute and a half per episode on their YouTube channel, um, of the daily shenanigans of a cat and the elderly human woman who's adopted him, uh, directed by Jun Aoki, the mind between behind Pop Team Epic, so somewhat slightly bizarre. Um, it has a real unique art style that blends CG with 2D animation and with a hankin and chonk, Chonky cats. Um, this one really fits if you're into watching chubby cat videos on YouTube, um of cats being cats, which, you know, as my, my wife is in that demographic and kind of led into me, um, it held toge- it's held together by the voice acting of the titular cat Tsushima, uh, voiced by Aikio Otsuka, whose gravelly tones also voice All for One from My Hero Academia, as well as the narrator in the Euro Camp. Um, overall, it's a fun, if inconsequential, anime. Probably another three out of five or two out of five, depending on how much you like cats. It's also probably worth mentioning the other sorts, a uh, dragon maid sorts. Um, we'll talk about the full series in a second. But the full f- last season, Kyoto Animation released thirteen. 13- minute-long swords called Mini Dragon, set in the world of Maid Dragon, you know, just a fun slice-of-life hijinks to kind of prep us for the return of the season. Um, during the broadcast of the second season, they released three more episodes, which were released, and there are barely five more on the way that are going to be included on the Blu-ray releases later this year into next. So not quite done, but again, it's not as though they're a full series in and of themselves, so I'm not going to integrate them at this point. That is a good place as any, though, to talk about the return of the second season of Kobayashi's Dragon Maid Season 2. Again, quick recap for context: This is the first television series that Kyoto Animation has put out there since the 2019 arson attacks that killed a number of employees, including the director of the first season of Dragon Maid. And as I mentioned in the first impressions video, it certainly feels that the team still got it and can put out the same high-quality anime that we that we know and love from Kyoto Annie Honestly, this show probably has the best action sequences of the entire season, and on what its surface should be just a regular, one of the middle slice of life fantasy series. Many of the extremely comf- married with the extremely comfy vibes it puts out as humans and dragons try to interact and coexist in modern society. There's no question. This is my favorite sequel of the season, and possibly my favorite anime of this outside the season. Now, compared to the first season you know obviously it's not its own standalone story right the episodes generally build upon the pre-existing relationships with a touch more world building uh, when it comes to Toru's past and relations with other dragons um you know notably they added the new dragon Ilulu um as another dragon it seemed promising early on but ultimately that was resolved in like two episodes and you know it didn't really add, and I think her potential impact was a lot less what it, you know, it, it looked like it was going to be. To that end, it could be argued the season is a bit weaker than the first, since you know it ha- had an overall lack of a central thematic narrative push, right? It, it builds on it's it's we're back in the world, we're enjoying spending time with these characters, but where the first one was to some degree a a, 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 med- a meditation maybe or, or an examination of how different people can can, co- can come to coexist with each other um, through the narrative of Toru and kind of you know learning how she integrates into a new world. Um, This one, at this point, she's basically integrated and there's really not much conflict in that regard of, oh, do I fit in anymore, right? Um, That's not really there as much. It's just exploring who the character is through the past um, without much character growth, per se, right? and no, not not to say that this show has, and, and you know, it, there is some payoff in the end, right? In you know, so mini arc, maybe two or three episodes from the from the end, and they do hint at, do reference stuff from earlier in the season? But it's not quite as big a payoff as at the end of the first season, where it kind of built up, you know, everything that we had seen there. Um, not to say it had zero impact. Overall though, this is still probably the strongest of the weekly anime this season, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5 overall for me. Um, the first season I believe I gave a 5 out of 5. Also, the opening and endings are infinitely catchy and head and shoulders and wings above all the other competitors for anime OP ED of the season. I ended up you know, literally watching both the OP and the ED every single time, I never do that for any song and I just did it for this one so yeah. Also, Elma is best dragon, you can't argue with me on that one. Alright, moving on to the other sequels this season. Uh, it could be argued that uh, Tenzo's season two, or at the time I was reincarnated as a slime, uh, suffered the opposite problem from Dragon Maid, where Dragon Maid kind of wandered around without a strong central thrust to what it was trying to accomplish. Slime was almost tied too much to its structure, right? As a show that flies off of the politics and world building, the first. Eight is episodes of the season were basically large exposition dumps, and what amounts to a, you know a diplomacy summit. You know, not much action, meant to flesh out the world and lay out the foundations for the payoff in the last third of the season. The relationship between different countries and motivations, and so on. Um, you know in co- in contrast to the uh, spin of slice of life spin off slime Diaries, which was you know a little bit more wandering and fleshing out the world through you know just kind of in in the moment experiencing the world um, this one didn't really deviate too much from that central thrust and you you know you it was more tell not so um, I didn't really mind so much since you know again it was the nascent of elements of nascent building I enjoyed, but that was again nascent building through accent as opposed to nascent building through talk. Um, and and you know and and you know even this even that kind of pushed me that 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 the tell not so delivery pushed me to my limits and this is from someone who has Log Horizon which is one of the most talky world building shows out there um, in his top you know anime of all time. Now of course the payoff in the last few episodes you know not not only paid off the setup from this arc from this season but from you know the entire past two seasons um, and I think it was well done and and, and that's one of the benefits of these long form narrative shows right um, now. In, in 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 some cases though it, it also felt sort of in that while it was mostly very satisfying to see you know the the big the big bad get their due and for Rimu to take its place in the world after being underestimated for so long, and there were certainly decent animation sequences to go along with it. Um, you know Sakuga animation has never been the strong point of Slime overall, um, and, and in some cases right like where we wanted to say the bad guy was actually not all that powerful, um, it kind of felt a little bit anticlimactic in that degree right. All that being said, though, you know, it certainly was entertaining, Um, one of the ones I definitely kept up with every week, and I'm looking forward to where the Tempest Kingdom ends up going into the future. But as I noted in my score recalibration episodes, scenes of slime past the first one have generally been in the 3 out of 5 category for me, and this one kind of falls in line with that. Uh, the other sequel this season that I finished was *Homerun* Season Two, or *My Next Life as a Villainess: All Roads Lead to Doom*. Um, I'd given the first season a four out of five. It was certainly surprising with its premise and how well it set up Bakarina's pansexual harem without her knowing. Uh, for a true romantic comedy, right? A case of definitely surpassing expectations. What kind of put a silver link on the map for a lot of people, I think. Uh, that said, I had reservations at the end of the first season of you know, how I having included doom flags from the game. Uh, what would the second season potentially hold for her if there wasn't really that tense? with that juxtaposition. And you know, I know the manga d- and Slash Light novels do continue on past the game. Um, but you know, I had trouble visualizing myself. And frankly, I feel I had a good reason to be concerned after having seen the season. While there is some comfort in the familiar of seeing the shenanigans of the same crew that they get up to and the same same things they get they they get concerned about of winning her affection, it doesn't feel like the juxtaposition of her perception of the world as a game versus the reality uh you know, that that juxtaposition of her perception versus the world versus what other th- people. Know the world to be just wasn't really there anymore, and it largely felt static in terms of the characterization, right? Not to say characters didn't push the boundaries. Jordo and Keith especially suit their shot with her. I'm, I'm curious to see if the other uh, hero members try try it in future in future iterations. Um, but you know, the 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 plot execution felt somewhat lazy and, and and repetitive, right? I mean, there were two separate kidnapping plots here to really try to force Bakarina to grow, and you know as Thomas it, like didn't really know any other ways to really build Tencent for the characters. And it's not as though this amazing Sakuge animation to make up for, you know, oh, you know, well, it's a very plain plot, but we have these amazing Sakuge sequences. It did not really have that either, right? Overall, I think it's a weak second offering from Bakarina and Co., so unfortunately, I'm going to give them a 2 out of 5 here. That said, the movie has been announced, um, and hopefully one, um, you know, given the twist from the last episode um, regarding a sequel to the game, um, that this sets up a return to form where the comedy can sign a little bit more for me. Now, moving on to new anime, you know, to, to kind of end up the episode, you know, there are a couple, of, there are a couple that have that were pretty surprising for me, right? Uh, first up, we have Battle Royale series Battle Game in 5 Seconds. I had pretty low expectations going into this one. As I mentioned, death game, death battle anime outside the classics like Battle Royale have it, goal, a tendency to go a little bit too grimdark Lord for me. And, you know, a trench coat wearing protagonist who finds life too boring and wants more games to chan- challenge his intellectually rich mind. Um, yeah, is there any more, anything more Edgelord than that. Granted, it never and and it never really had truly great animation, particularly in the final arc where they just went full XR and Berserk CG for one of the bad guys. That being said, I must admit that the writing on this one actually got me. The protagonist's supernatural power he received, you know, the ability to have whatever ability other people think he has, Led to some very interesting mind games where he, I won't say, I won't say it got to the level of Hunter x Hunter, but you definitely see the inspiration series like Hunter x Hunter and maybe even Death Note, right? Of, of you know, I think, I know you think, I think, I think that you think this about me, therefore I'm going to think this and and make take these actions kind of like those uh, all according to Keikaku type plans. You know that definitely was here, um, and you know it took a little bit while to get rolling, but once it did, it was definitely very enjoyable to see it all come together. Ultimately, I think again what held this one back was the production values mostly, um, and you know it is setting up for another arc at the end of the season. I don't believe there's an announcement for a sequel yet. Hopefully, you know if it does come around, you know that, that there is more budget for this one next time. Overall, I think I'll settle on this being a two out of five. Not the greatest show out there for sure, but definitely way more than I was willing going to think I was going to give at the start of the season. I wasn't didn't even think I was going to finish it. Now Another pleasant surprise was Chukimichi or Moonlit Fantasy. This one seemed like your box standard isekai power fantasy. Granted, the protagonist is super overpowered from the start. The difference is that one, they have a pretty believable reason, at least in the world, for that and what more, it's not as though the protagonist is a pure blank slate you can just self-insert to Kuff-Kuff Kirito. Now, the show does take cues from reincarnate as a Slime*. You know, the protagonist ends up building a nation of monsters and reincarnating into a situation where humans won't accept him normally. But honestly, that's not a bad easy guy to try and emulate, as opposed to again, sort of online. Uh, the world building is fairly solid, and unlike *Slime*, where the side cast quickly balloons exponentially to the point where there's no meaningful development of those side characters beyond their introductions, the vassals that late other lead character picks up, the Dragon Sin and the Spider Mio, which by the way, I'm Team Sin. Um, um, and they conveniently also take on waifu forms, so, and they're in love with him. Uh, but generally, they take up the bulk of the screen time with the addition of the lit Sin later on toward the end, who's definitely a pretty boy. Um, and they add a real comedic element to this, so kind of like early slime, right? Um, now, you know, uh, now... And, and I'll even give it that they saved up their budget for Sakuga anime to have a like really great battle sequence in the final episode. So definitely give them props for that. Now, Tukimichi isn't the perfect soul by any means, right? Or even the better soul than Slime. You know, some of the pacing and world building is somewhat disconnected. Apparently, they had to rush through a bunch of chapters to get to that final chapter, and the thread line with his high school quest that he had to leave behind in his old world kind of teased that but never really followed up on or fleshed out. That being said, it did well enough that I'd put this in the upper half of Sky anime out there, upper half of SOS this season, um, and thankfully, it does have a second season announced, um, though the release date is still TBD. So, I'll definitely check in on that one, and overall, I'll give it a respectable 3 out of 5 for me. Now the next show to discuss is Eden Diet Now the last two shows um, are shows that you know I kind of wish had more more runtime to them, um, it, despite being pretty good shows in most other regards. Uh, then you know first up we have Eden Only No Peace. Now this one I think might be the most visually interesting an- anime of the season. You know as a map show I thought I'd, sort of, I'd, I'd likely was going to look great, but. I think the biggest thing here was the use of colors and hues and saturation in this one where, you know, different characters, depending on the mood or the, light, the mood, you know, or the setting just really changed the lighting and, the, you know, the hair colors would go all different places, right? And definitely had like a very, very standout look among any other this season. Uh, it kind of reminded me of Mob Psycho 100 in that regard. Certainly no complaints there, and you know the plot in the world was similarly gripping, where you never really knew what was going to go, but you know it would be a wild time, if admittedly not fully fleshing everything out in detail, and the show certainly wouldn't sigh away from the more extreme elements that they could use in the world or plot building if the end of the first episode was anything to go by. Again, not a show for the kiddies. Now where I think the show falls a little bit short in true greatness is again, through no fault of its own, the source material. You see, this one was originally a webcomic that ran from 2008 to 2016, got discontinued then, um, and then before you know, wrapping up, it, it, it never actually concluded in the webcomic. The manga ended up starting up in 2018 and presumably intends to go past where the webcomic ended up. The thing is, the anime has also gone past the anime, the manga, and it actually cut ends roughly where that cut-off webcomic ended up. So it's one hell of a cliffhanger if you've seen it. Um, hopefully we do get a continuation soon, as this one you know, just draws you in wanting more. Um, and there's a larger mystery there that, that I want to see come And you're kind of like, you know, this is definitely anime that pushes the boundaries, um, but not in a way that's meant to, not, not purely meant for, oh, fan service re- re- reasons, like, you know, um, Redo of Healer, for example. That one was just like, you know, let's have as much sock value as possible. This one does have some sock value in there, but it's not meant purely for sock value. It actually does have a in-universe reason for, for those, um, you know, for those uh, things that, that happen in the, in the plot. So, with the lack of a proper ending, I'm really torn, you know, if it had been able to wrap up, even with an anime original ending, I would have probably given it a 4 out of 5, no problem. Uh, Without that, though, I'm walking between a 3 and a 4. I'm going to settle on a 4 for now, but I'm I'm sure at some point in the future I'll probably come back and recalibrate it down to a 3 after more time has passed. And the final anime to talk about is Bokutachi no Remake, uh, the time-travel story about a burnt-out game developer who goes back in time to try and go back into the creative field from the start instead of happening his way into it. Now, on the surface, this was one of my most anticipated after the first episode. It's a deep dive into the world of creative process and project management, you know, lots of vibes of Izuken or Bakuman or Bako*, all, all of which are good shows to be like. There were some questions about, you know, if... Someone traveling back is time traveling back, you know. You know, and, and and which you know is actually actually hinted at why he how he tried to travel, which I was not fully really expecting. Even though they don't fully explain, it, I wasn't expecting them to actually explain how he time travel. But if he, someone's going to be time traveling back, why wouldn't they try to get rich off you know Bitcoin or try to avert some natural disaster? But you know, they actually had some semblance of explaining in character why he didn't do that, which actually kind of makes sense for the larger narrative, you know theme of the story right so that kind of makes sense and you know in a Steinscape manner the impact of his meddling in the past on the possible outcomes in the future is actually explored as well in the last arc which you know i think it was episode seven or episode eight where that twist happened and like whoa this is like definitely ele- definitely brought it back up from i think it, it, it had gone from like a you know f- f- a four five out of five from the start down to maybe like a three even two out of five by the midway point went back up to a four out of five for me by that point and you know, not not only that, you know, also also a reasonably realistic depiction of college life, including romance. Yes, please. Um, and also, one last positive. This is probably one of the best scenes in anime this season. Um, the cover of God Knows in episode five was pretty epic. Now again all those positives aside what is so falsehood is being uh, of being the unequivocal anime of the season for me is the fact that it you know never really ref- re- fully was re- it brings up all of these cans of worms and problems related to his time traveling and unfortunately just runs out of episode times to finish them right it's a very much a go read the light novel situation ending apparently at volume four out of nine um, that have been released so far and there's no English release by the way and it seems people are saying the the, the the light novel author is like oh please go read the light novel so this seems like a uh, definitely a play by the publisher to just get more people to you know hopefully buy more sales which i don't know if the sales have increased as a result of of the anime or not so there is no sequel currently announced and which again like either 10 is a crying save because i definitely want more of this series so similar situation for the lack of a tied together ending this certainly well executed well conceived so is hovering in the limbo between four out of five and three out of five probably the former for now before eventually getting relegated down to the latter So yeah, that's the summer 2021 anime season. Seven completed full-length shows, two sorts, and one anthology. All said and done, it ended up being a somewhat weaker season of anime. Um, Again, after this craziness of winter and spring, not necessarily a bad thing to have a breather season. As far as yet another anime awards for this season, I'd say opening-ending sequel anime of the season definitely goes to Dragon Maid Season 2. Sword anime of the season, nothing super compelling, but I guess by default it goes to Orochusisuma. And then original anime of the season... You know, it normally would be, uh, or not original, but new anime of the season. You know, Bokutachi the Remake or, or Um, I think the fact that they just can't really, I can't really recommend them just because they don't complete fully. I'm going to pull a curveball here. Actually give that the, the, uh, the new anime of the season going to Star Wars Visions. Might be considered the sequel just because it's based on the Star Wars world. But honestly, you don't really need to know anything about the Star Wars world to just appreciate these stories for what they are. So yeah, in any case, I want to hear from you. What shows were your anime, summer seasons were your favorites? What were your anime of the seasons? What was your favorite episode of the nine Star Wars Visions anthology sorts? Um, what are your hopes for the upcoming fall 2021 anime season? And so they I have gotten the Blu-ray for Odd Taxi, including the Odokawa figurine and Don Raku Eraser. You can let me know on Twitter at YetAnnoAnniePod or via email, at yetanotheranimepodcast at gmail.com. Follow my, my analyst at ninjaboy333, boy with an eye. we will found on all the major podcast services iTunes, Spotify, and P- Google Play. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review, or at the very least, share it with another anime loving friend. If you want to more directly support the show, you can do so on Patreon.com. Links to all of that will be in the show notes. Intro and outro music provided by Suichi Sakagami at Tandest.com. Editing production provided by Ninja Boy Media. As it for this episode. We are on the first and the third Fridays of each month. Next time on yet another anime podcast. As always, we're going to dive into the first episodes of the fall 2021 anime season, including some new interesting release models from Netflix. But until then, see you space cowboy. Bang! Bang.